Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast, helping you invest in property for freedom, choice, and profit. You'll learn new, innovative, and multiple streams of property income, whether you want to start, scale, or systemize, and even if you don't have deposits. Hi, it's Rob Moore here, hijacking the Progressive Property Podcast again. I do own Progressive Property, so hopefully you don't mind me hijacking it from time to time. So this episode is very different. I think you'll enjoy it. Now, we get asked a lot, Mark and myself, who also co-founded Progressive, to sort of pull the curtain back on our entire journey. Uh, We started Progressive Jan 2007. I started investing the end of 2005. Mark started investing 2003. So, of course, we made some mistakes along the journey, but we've been doing this a little while now. And people always ask me things like, how did you do no money down deals? How did you joint venture with someone like Mark who was more experienced, etc. So for the first time, probably start to finish, I did a talk for our VIP members only at our Elite Cashflow Accelerator event. My journey start to finish with Mark, how I raised finance from him, how we raised finance from my mum. Mark's mum, his stepdad, amateur investors, private investors, sophisticated investors, refinancing, and also some of the more trust-based elements of joint ventures. So, for example, how to be credible, how to be lendworthy, not the technical um, legal side of it, but more about how to get yourself out there as a believable JV partner to really be able to attract money, especially if you haven't got much experience, which I didn't have. And so I guess I reversed engineered these last sort of what 11 or 12 years. So hopefully you'll find it really useful, this talk. And stay to the very end because we've got a brand new special announcement And that is we've just launched a new podcast and we've got some amazing special gifts, giveaways, competitions. I'm talking cash, Apple products, tickets to a brand new event, all free, no purchase needed, just for subscribing to my new podcast. So here's the live talk now and I'll see you at the end of the episode. So in the theme of being disruptive, I'm introducing to you a new format today on the podcast. Now, lots of people have asked me over the years of running the podcast and my businesses for a little bit more detail in my journey, and especially how did I go from zero to 720 properties that we own, co-own, manage and have in joint ventures, and how did I buy um, all the properties that I own or co-own, no money down. Uh, And it's a bit of a long journey and story. And so uh, I've not fully put it into like a book or anything like that yet. But I ran a private event for our VIP only clients just recently. uh, And I took them through step by step that journey, focusing on raising finance, doing property deals, no money down. And it gives you a bit more of a clear insight into my story and history, how we started, how I partnered with my business partner and how we financed the first round, second round, third round of deals and then grew progressive property. So it's a bit of a test, this kind of format. I hope you like it. It was well received at the live event. Let me know if you want more of this kind of content. And if there's anything different you'd like me to share with you, then please suggest what you'd like me to uh, deep dive into in the disruptive entrepreneur community. So welcome to a live talk with me on my journey. Can you bring it? <laughs> welcome, Max, to Thank you. Thank you. Take a seat. Thank you. All right. Hello. Hello. Thanks for coming. The reality of it is quite simple. Uh, The more finance you can raise, the more deals you can buy. You know that. It's a binary thing. No money, no deals. 
plenty of money, plenty of deals. How do I talk to you in, in a manner that you've not heard me before, or maybe the Be Your Own Bank CD programme, or what you've learned about raising finance from some of our great speakers and trainers? So I'm going to come at it from a different angle on this talk. I've given plenty of talks and I've created plenty of programmes that you can get access to on VIP of the nuts and bolts of raising finance. You know, the technical aspects, the different types of finance, like crowdfunding and raising JV finance and lease options and private loans and, um, you know, all manner of ways. But I'm going to focus a little bit more on this talk on you as an investable asset. Because keeping my ear to the ground... I've learned over the years that a lot of people don't really feel with volition inside themselves that they're worthy of receiving money. And there's some attributes, skills and some mindset involved in being a good receiver of money. And so there's a good receiver in the respect that you have self-worth. But also externally, what a private investor, how they may perceive you. Now, if we had an angel in this room and a dragon over there and a vulture over there, a whale over there, every time they just get bigger, um, a planet over there, um, you know, they would, be, they would be able to put into words what makes an individual like you investable. And so that's what I'm going to try and do for the next hour. And um, this is another thing sometimes people say, oh, well, you can't do JVs and, you know, you can't do deals, no money down. They don't know how. When I started, I was nearly £50,000 in consumer debt. I had about five credit cards that were all, you know, credit cards on credit cards on credit cards on credit cards on credit cards. I built up debt. Um, it took me seven years to build up that debt from the first time I could get a credit card to going to uni and racking up the debt there and coming back and racking up some more debt. And then I got a car loan for a car that I bought for £10,000. Sold it two or three years later for three and a half thousand pounds. Still had, what, two, three years left on the car loan. 200 pound a month that I couldn't afford. Didn't have the car anymore. Bought a bike. And like the, like the dick that I was back then, I spent 750 quid on a bike. Like when I bought the car, I should have bought a 1500 quid car. And when I bought a bike, I should have bought a 50 quid bike. I couldn't help myself. Um, so I didn't, really, I didn't know how to manage money. Uh, and then... At the end of 2005, I went to my very first property networking event because Mike Wildman, who used to hang my art in his designer furniture shop, and I use that word specifically, hang, not sell, <laughs> uh, but I can't blame him, you know. Uh, and, um, you know, like, I used to work there on a Sunday as well, and I used to work in Dad's pub all week. And I, I mean, I love this shop. I, you know, I, I have got a bit of a, a soft spot, a penchant for nice material items. And so, you know, I used to spend money I didn't have on those. And now I just spend money from um, assets, passive income. So at least, you know, next month the money's there again. So I used to work there on a Sunday and I became sort of quite good friends with Mike. And for probably about a year, he was like, Rob, you should go to property events. You should get into property. There's local property meets. And I was like, Ugh. You know, what do I know? I'm an artist. I had no confidence. Um, and I think he, you know, he's like probably a good generation older than me. And I think he wanted to help me, you know, as a struggling artist. He gave me a shot at hanging the work and that was really nice of him. Because, you know, to be honest, you know, nice designer furniture shop and then 
my art where you, you know, you play Rammstein to inspire you to paint. And then if you want to cheer yourself up, you put Radiohead on. It's like, you know, the art didn't really fit. But he oh, poor guy, you know, like a lost dog, needs a home. Um, yeah. So finally, I was like, all right, Michael, go. And this was bang on the last week the office is open in December 2005. And I know many of you have heard the story, so I won't drag it out. But I met Mark Homer at that first networking event right at the end, the last person I spoke to. After I'd gone around the other nine, it's a business card, it's a business card, it's a business card, it's a business card. I'm going to make millions out of these business cards. Funnily enough, I didn't. Um, I didn't really know how to talk to people in a, in, a, in a non-sort-of-friend social environment. When it was business and networking, I was very uncomfortable. Um, and Mark and I got talking, and I thought he was weird, and he thought I was weird, and that was OK. And then we started geeking out a bit. And um, we were talking about local properties in local areas, and he all of a sudden got really excited. And he started talking to me about some of the businesses done as he was younger, and we, we hung out in the bar for like half an hour. Um, and we exchanged cards and, you know, like we, um, I called him up because that's what you have to do with business cards, you know, call them up. And I called him up and he's like, oh, come to my office. Um, so I went to his office the next week and, you know, he probably said our office because it, um, it was owned by a guy um, that Mark's written about a lot in his book, Low Cost High Life, if you've ever read that. What does he call him in the book? Chris, Chris that's it. And uh, he was Mark's boss. Now, Mark's a smart cookie. Mark had saved loads of money. I didn't know this at the time. And, you know, he had various different layers of savings and wealth and investments. But he got this job at this property company because he wanted to learn on the job. He thought, this is my ticket to getting in the inside scoop of being a property investor. If it wouldn't have been that company, he'd have worked for an estate agent. So I suppose, you know, if the product had been good... And, and at the time, it probably was. It's a bit like coming and working for Progressive Property um, because you get, you know, the inside knowledge of sourcing deals. And, um, you, you know, um, our boss, one, in one way, you could say he was good at leverage. And in another way, you could say he was a lazy bastard. And I couldn't quite work out which one he was. Um, but Mark was working for him, doing most of the work. Mark would fly out to Nevis St. Kitts. He'd fly out to America. He'd fly all over the world, you know, sourcing these new build developments or off-the-plan deals with the developers, coming back. And then, you know, um, our ex-boss, Chris, would um, generate some leads by spending loads of money on um, Google AdWords and give them to Mark and go sell them. Anyway, so Mark invited me in, and I met Mark and this guy, Chris. And... Um, I just got really excited about the thought of maybe getting into property. This was only like a week after um, I met him. Mark gave me two books to read at the time. It was Rich Dad, Poor Dad and Richest Man in Babylon. I woofed them down and then I read uh, Think and Grow Rich. And so started to get the bug like many of us have. And within a couple of weeks, they'd offered me a job. And I was prepared to do it for nothing. I was prepared to work for no money, commission only. Give me the phone, I'll sell some deals. I didn't know how to sell on the phone. I didn't know how to sell full stop. I couldn't sell my art. And my plan was I'd do this in the day and I'd paint at night because I always used to paint at random times anyway. I used to do like three hours kickboxing a day and I didn't really do much painting in the day and I used to do it late at night. So I figured, well, you know, I, could, I can give this a go for a couple of months, see what happens. 
So as it turns out, I, you know, I did a deal with Chris and he paid me minimum wage. It was six quid an hour, I think it was, back then. Um, it might have even been five quid an hour. Uh, uh, but he was going to pay me 500 quid per deal that I sold. And then that could ratchet up to a grand, you know, a bit later on. And um, Mark and I sat at one end of the office next to each other. And he sat all the way at the other end of the office in his glass box. And I learned more in that nine months... Like the, the, the good, the bad, the ugly, the real, the on the ground about property than I'd learned my whole life at school and at uni. And I, I started at the end of February. And the ironic thing was they moved their offices to above Mike's furniture shop. I don't know if any of you saw our 11th birthday video. I did a little bit of drive around and I, I took you to all those places, the history of it. So again, a bit of a progressive property history lesson. And if it's boring as fuck, put it on the feedback form. Um, <laughs> so we went to Chris and said, look, we've sold a load of these off-plan new builds for you, but I think local existing properties work better. We think the yields are better. We think the prices are more fair and accurate. You know, they're not hyped up and bumped up by the developer. We should sell a load of these. And he didn't want to. And the reason he didn't want to was because I guess he didn't think they were scalable. I guess he thought it was easier to find up a developer via Mark and get a deal to sell 20 new builds instead of sourcing them individually. So Mark and I said, fine, OK. And we went and did it ourselves, evenings and weekends. And the first, what, half a dozen properties-ish we bought were with Mark's money, not mine. And we did a deal where we'd both do all the work and he'd fund it all and we'd own half. Now, back then, we didn't delineate roles. We didn't know we were completely different personalities. We were following each other like a pair of dogs chasing their tails. But we were excited. Up and down Cowgate, which is where all the estate agents are. Up and down, up and down, all day, every day. Ted Baker suits, pointy shoes, spiky hair, let's have it. <laughs> no, no ties. No, i never really done ties. Um, one of the estate agents used to call Mark and I the cocks. <laughs> that was their, their, their um, term of endearment for us. They're the cocks! <laughs> Fucking rich cocks now. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help it. Um, <laughs> they won't be watching. So, now, I never knew Mark had money or how much, how much money, but we went out and did viewings. Mark's the sort of person, he'll, he'll sit back and he'll watch you. And he'll play along and he'll tease you a bit like a cat with a mouse. And, um, you know, once it looks like you're the real deal, oh, he's all of a sudden magic to deposit. And I remember getting him really hammered one night. Because this was one of the ways I was adding value to him. Because I was taking him out and the, the five mates I had, I was introduced him to them. And we had a really good laugh. A really, really, really good laugh that year. And, you know, you should never forget your fledgling year or the current year you're in. I know you've got these big goals and dreams and you want to be a millionaire and make loads of money in property and whatever it is that you want. But don't forget to make this year fun. And we had, the, you know, like one of the best years. And he got really pissed one time and he said, Rob, well, you know, and I don't really talk about money normally, but I have enough money to buy X amount of properties. It's like, nice, we should buy some. And then he went, cash. So he woke up with a hangover and I woke up excited. Let's go buy some more deals. 
So we got up to maybe six odd with his own money. And back, and then Mark started to panic, as I said he does. He said, oh, careful, don't overtrade. Where's your money? Ain't got any. You know, oh, OK, that's the deal. Um, and back then you could do, you could get bridging loans for the deposit way, way back then. And we did a couple of those deals. And then when they stopped, we didn't. Uh, and that probably got us to a dozen or something like that. Um, and then when we'd run out of money and run out of ways to fund deposits, I said to Mark, well, why don't, you, why don't we go to your mum? You know, I'm sure your mum's got some money. Well, I, I, I knew she had some money. And he went, well, I'm not sure. Um, so anyway, I went to his mum. And because um, I had to be the referee, by the way, this is another little Mark thing. And when we set up Progressive Property, which was a year after, it was January 2007. So December 2005, I met Mark. We worked at that property company 2006. Jan 2007, start, started Progressive. Our first staff member was Mark's mum. And basically, Mark used to make Mark's mum cry every day. Uh, and then I used to have to console Mark's mum and then give the feedback to Mark that she's your mum, not your skivvy. And, and that was good because I built a good relationship with Mark's mum. So then we got another few deposits. Um, and that came through. And Mark and I got to like about, what, a dozen-ish then. Uh, and what the, the deal we did was I get 40%, Mark gets 40%, and Mark's mum gets 20%. She was cool with that. We were all cool with that. I mean, you know, I'm sure anything that Mark's mum leaves and passes on when it's her time will go to Mark anyway. He's an only child, acts like one as well. Um, uh, and so it took us to about a dozen. Um, you know, and then, um, then we ran out of her money. So I said to Mark, well, what about your stepdad? Don't go to my stepdad. He's, you know, he's very risk averse. Anyway, went to his stepdad, got another few deposits. Took us to what? I don't know, 15, 16-ish. And then like a penny dropped, like nine months in or something, because this was a mad year. He looked at me and went, well, where's your fucking money? And I went, well, I ain't got any, you know that. And he says, well, what about your house? Why don't you remortgage that? Hmm. So he helped me uh, get a good broker, because Mark had more contacts than me. Uh, we remortgaged one of my houses, but I'll come back to that in a minute. In the meantime, my mum had some inheritance money from when my nan passed. And Mark sort of went, well, what about your mum? Um, and then my mum at that sort of time kind of came to us anyway, because she'd seen what we'd been doing with Catherine's money and William's money and what we'd been doing ourselves. So then my mum put, you know, a couple of deposits in. And as it turns out, as would be, is normal, but it just turns out because you wouldn't know this yet, um, the, uh, most of the other half of the inheritance went to my mum's brother, my uncle, Martin. And so when he saw what my mum did with the money, my uncle Martin put a bit of money in enough again for a couple of properties. Uh, and that got us to about 20 in the first year. I was doing a talk for this old boss of mine, Chris, blurted out Mark and I had bought pretty much 20 properties together locally. He did that thing in the bed. Then we got fired. Then we set up progressive property. And at this, by the end of this year, I'd learned like more than I'd ever learned in my whole life. Mark had taught me loads, shielded me from a lot. I knew probably September, October that year, I didn't want to work for this guy anymore. And I think it was a mix of, I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. But also, I just... The way he, 
was he was more of a militant authoritarian boss. And I don't react... I mean, I don't react very well being told what to do, which probably doesn't surprise you. Mark's even worse, though, um, unless it's making him money, in which case he'll just shut his gob and keep making the money. So that's why I worked for him. For, so Mark worked for him for about two years. I worked for him for one. And then um, we... Um, I was doing a TV show. I was a primetime living TV show, so I was a, a coach on that TV show. I was away for, like, eight weeks in this house in St Albans. And poor old Mark had to take the brunt of it all while we were away. Um, so Chris fired him because he found out we were setting up progressive property because um, he found it out on my laptop because um, I'd set up the whole business plan on the freaking work computer <laughs> thinking it was my laptop, it wasn't his. You didn't have to be a forensic bloody accountant to work out what I was doing. I probably told everyone, which was the, the greatest blessing ever because Mark never would have left. Um, so I got us fired, except I didn't have to take it because Mark took If you love to travel like me and you understand the power in escaping the money for time exchange trap, but you just don't know how to do it, then building an Airbnb consultancy business could be exactly what you have been looking for. Right now in the UK, there is a completely untapped opportunity through helping struggling Airbnb hosts by turning around their underperforming properties and generating you huge commission payments in the process. We are going to teach you all of the tools and all of the techniques that we've learned over the last five years through building our very own multiple six-figure Airbnb business, arming you with everything that you need to swoop in and save the day. Minimal startup costs, zero risk, and almost unlimited potential. Sound good? Welcome to the Airbnb Consultant. Contact us through any of the channels included in the studio notes to get the conversation started. Because I was doing a bloody TV show. Mark phoned me up. You only allowed to f- your phone once a week for an hour. I couldn't do that anymore. Anyway, so I pick up these voicemails all week. Mark is Rob. Uh, Robbie's Mark phoned me. Robbie's Mark phoned me. Robbie's Mark phoned me. Robbie's Mark phoned me. And they're like the friend. Like, We've been fired. Fuck. We've been fired. Fuck. We've been fired. Fuck. And I phoned him on Sunday. We've been fired. Get the fuck in there. So what do we do? I said, let's set up progressive property. We didn't know it was called progressive property. Let's set up on our own. This is what we want to do. He's, you know, what he's doing is not what we want. Uh, all right, all right, well, you know, get voted off this fucking show and come home. So I got voted off the show and I came home. <laughs> not intentionally, we were third. It still pisses me off. I wanted to be first. Um, and so I came home uh, and we set up progressive property in my tiny little dining room, except you couldn't fit a dining room table in it in my house. Coming back to me remortgaging my house, I had a really shitty deal because I didn't know what I was doing when I bought it. Um, My dad had lent me the deposit. So when I remortgaged the property, I put it onto a better rate. I pulled some money out. I paid my daddy's money back. Um, Didn't have to, but did. That felt really good to give dad a load of money back. Um, And I paid off a load of my debts. I'd already worked off some of them from earning the commissions uh, through this new company. And 2007, Progressive started, and, you know, I was on an e- a decent footing, making a decent amount of money. But Mark and I didn't really know what we were going to do. And really what we wanted to do at that point was just buy property for ourselves. But also we realised that we needed another income stream because it's quite slow to build up an income stream just buying single lets, as you know. So then, of course, I wrote the first book that year, the first version of Property Investing Secrets as it is now. And in that year, we did a load of refinancing. We got another couple of JV partners. And by the way, the book helped 
raise, for raising finance. Because um, once we got the book out there, we started having people come to, you know, hey, Rob Mark, like what you do, know what you do. So we pulled some of the money back out of the first round of properties because um, back then you could remortgage more frequently than you can now. Um, so there were some advantages then and disadvantages. Um, so we went and played again and, and bought more properties. Uh, and uh, we got a couple of external JV partners in. Uh, and, and the way we do those JVs is 50% to them, 25% to Mark, 25% to me. Sometimes we do a third, a third, a third, but mostly it's 50 to them, the financer, 25 to Mark and I. Uh, and we bought another 30 in that year. And we got to 50 at the end of 2007. Then we started packaging deals and selling them on. Because to buy 50 properties, you've got to do at least 500 viewings. And, you know, like Mark and I, you know, we loved doing it. We loved putting on our Ted Baker endurance suits and going and speaking to estate agents. Um, but that's for, what is it? 450 viewings where you monetized zero and made no money. At the same time, we were getting interest. People were starting to know us because we're these two young guys. You know, one's got a big gob on him. We're getting out there a bit. We're getting known locally and a bit more nationally now with the book. Um, and what that's done for the future is just kept attracting JV fine partners to us. This building was financed by Mark's mum. And this was like after we had a hundred, couple of hundred single lets. That building was financed by... Mark's stepdad and my mum, like their third or fourth round of money with us. This building, which was the last one that we knocked, Mark and I just put our cash in that because we had cash spare to hold. The development we're doing, the um, Marks and Spencer's building into 95 flats, Mark and I just bought cash because we had a few million quid sitting around. You don't always have to JV, by the way, if you've got spare cash. Some of you have. The 37-unit development we just finished, when I say just, it's probably like a year ago now, Time flies, doesn't it? Um, we used a JV partner who came to one of our events. And then the next deal, because Mark and I have got a few million locked into this current deal, we'd like to JV the next one, um, is with this uh, golfer who's ranked number five in the world. Um, and we found him via his sister who read one of my books. So it, life leverage, raised finance. Uh, property investor secrets, raised finance through 2007. So I think this links quite a lot back to my first talk today on building your empire, especially the last two, brand number eight and building your followers and fans number nine. Um, now, here's the reality of raising finance that you won't know yet. And there'll either be one person or 100 people or 1,000 people doing this right now and you don't know because they're not telling you because why would they? But they are watching you and they're seeing if A, you mess it up or B, you do well out of it. And what you'll find is once you start getting some results, these people will peer out of the woodwork, all of a sudden, apparently randomly going, oh, you're interested in property, let's go have a coffee and talk about it. And they add a deposit or two or three. You may not have known or you might have pitched them three times and they said they didn't have. If someone doesn't want to give you money, they'll lie to your face if they've got it. Because it's just the easiest thing to do. Mark, you know, it took me a few months of getting him really pissed to get out of him how much money he had. By the way, that's not in the Be Your Own Bank CDs, that strategy. <laughs> Take out your potential partners, get them hammered. Come on. Cheers, how much money you got? All right. So I had no idea and no experience of what I was doing back then. So, you know, like, I just went out and did stuff and made some mistakes and did some things that, were, that worked as well. So what I'll do now for the rest of the talk 
is I'll try and reverse engineer some of the things that happened along that journey. Have you heard of my model that I created in the Be Your Own Bank called the Crest model? Show me your hand if you have. So the C stands for credibility. So credibility is like, it's not like one thing. It's like a perfect dish with multiple ingredients with the right amount of seasoning and chilli, too much, too less, it doesn't work. And credibility is like that too. Credibility is quite an individual thing where someone will look at you and think you're credible and someone will look at you and think maybe you're not so credible. So I'm going to give you a few things to work on for your credibility. So the first thing, which is actually the most important thing, is visibility. Because you have no credibility if you have no visibility. If you're not being seen, if no one knows you, they can't, no one can give money to someone they don't know. If you sat in the car and said to your sat-nav, when it asks you for the postcode, anywhere, then you're getting nowhere. Is that loud enough or do you want to turn it up a bit? Don't bother me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like someone playing a xylophone in someone's bag. <laughs> All right. Ah, oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, when you're going on viewings, <laughs> it's probably a tenant if it's ringing that long. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> Is it Simon Zushi trying to ruin my fucking talk? You know? <laughs> it's all right, I think it's finished now. <laughs> right. So, like, people update their Facebook of places they're going and food they're eating and gyms they're attending and what time they're getting up. Why don't people start updating, in the property world that is, the viewings you did, something that an estate agent taught you, a phone call you had with a solicitor and something dawned on you that you learned. Your friends and your followers and your, you know, real friends and Facebook friends, everyone who follows you, who interacts with you on LinkedIn and Facebook and face-to-face, they're watching you. So start changing the dialogue of what you put out. And turn it from normal, what you used to talk about, and try and dominate the conversation with property. What have you been up to? Oh, I did two or three viewings. I'm looking at uh, getting another buy-to-let this month. Oh, easy enough. Don't have to pitch them straight away. What have you been up to? Trying to get your money. <laughs> Don't have to pitch them. Now, this is also a technique in selling called selling through. Uh, what have you been up to? I've been um, raising finance for my next deal. Ooh, the unconscious message, I'm raising finance, i.e. I need finance to finance this next deal. Oh, I've been to solicitors to talk about joint venture contracts. Blah, blah, blah. So, more dialogue online and face-to-face about the world of property that you do all day, every day. The more you put out there, the more you'll get back. The more people see what you're doing and... If you're a little bit worried that um, it might be boring or you might not know what to say or you might not have some jaw-dropping tips, then I've got a little strategy for you. And this will definitely be in my new content machine course. And I call it, this is what I did, this is what I learned. If someone posted, I'm up at 5 a.m. But you know what, actually? I had a bit of a thick head for two hours. It kind of works being better at 6 a.m. 
And actually, I spent the first hour getting up, doing no work whatsoever. And I'm tired by 5 p.m. So actually, I think 6, 6.30 is going to be a better to optimal time for me to get up. Now, all of a sudden, I'm getting something out of that post. Some information. So this is what I did. I went on a viewing. This is what I learned. So the model is, this is what I did. This is what I learned. You could post after this talk and go, I'm at ECA, which is a VIP only progressive property event. And Rob taught me how to build your empire. And here are the nine things he taught and a couple of lines of my notes. And that is a, this is what I did. This is what I learned. And that is valuable. And so you're able to show people what you're doing, but you're able to give them some kind of value too, which is what they want. So while social media could be argued that it's about you, it's as much about your followers, fans, and the people that read your stuff as it is you. So balance that. This is what I did is me. This is what I learned is them. So the next thing on credibility, in addition to visibility, is consistency. It would be much better if you did one Facebook post a week and you went to one property networking event every two weeks or three weeks or four weeks consistently for the next two years with not missing one than going to every event and updating Facebook every seven seconds for three months and then going off the planet for three months. People, you don't even know why, unless you really look at it, but you can't trust anyone who's in and out and in and out. You can't. It's impossible because your brain thinks... They're not going to be doing it in three to six months. No one's going to lend you money if in three to six months they're going to think you're on some kind of health retreat in another niche or in MLM or some other business model. They can't, even if they wanted to, even if they like you. So this is my sort of reaction to all this hustle, grind and 10x. I've seen so many people hustle, grinding and 10x in for three months. And then burned out or stressed. Oh, this doesn't work because I've been 10xing for three months and I should be a millionaire. Or then 10xing somewhere else. Spraying their energy everywhere. And I know because I've got a tendency to do that myself. And as entrepreneurs, we tend to be good starters and poor finishers. And, you know, like, yeah. And this is why Mark's been good for me. Because, like, I just ping my energy everywhere. I might just, just ping your energy there. <laughs> And then I break out eventually. <laughs> but he holds me long enough that we made money down there. And then I'll go and make him money down there. While he's in Cannes. <laughs> for a week. He looks more and more like the milk tray man the more I see him. <laughs> with his long hair. Don't know why I did that. Because <laughs> so I'm making him fucking rich, that's why. All right. So consistency, it doesn't matter about volume, it matters about consistency. All right, the next thing on credibility is, of course, something that you all know, but the reason I haven't said it first is because it's not necessarily the most important thing, but most people think it is, and of course, that's proof. You know, the deals you've done are your CV for future deals. But what if you haven't done a deal? Well, every master was once a disaster and every winner was once a beginner. And so, you know, we just need to get you down to your first deal or your next deal. And if you're visible and consistent and likeable, 
then someone's going to take a chance on you at some point. And they wouldn't even see it as a chance, by the way, because there are a lot of people that like to do business with people they like. Okay, now, a little tip on this. I've shared this a couple of times over the years. It's an absolute winner. Um, just having a nose in people's handbags. There's definitely not one there, not one there. I don't think there's one there. There might be one in there. I don't know. don't think there'll be one in there. There's a phone in there and there's a phone in there. <laughs> um, so... Uh, no, I'm not judging because you might not have heard this. Go to Coleman's or go online on Amazon and buy a leather-bound, I think it's A5, with a little handle. They call them a folio. You know, with the clear plastic wallets inside. And use that and every deal that you do, put in there. And if you haven't got any deals yet, put deals that you would do in there. Put deals that you're viewing, that you're packaging up that you want to present to an investor in there. You can have four or five in there before you've even got your own deal. Now, don't say, yeah, they're all mine. I own them cash. Don't lie. But these are the deals that I'm looking to do joint ventures on. Now, I say that because it's big enough to go in your bag and you have it with you wherever you go. What you don't do is go to a networking event and go, all right, mate, and then, you know, I was going to say flop it out, but I probably shouldn't. <laughs> Whip it out just as bad. <laughs> Thankfully, you were writing your notes. And, um, but, you know, when the conversation flows, at some point they're going to ask you what kind of deals you do. Oh, well, um, you know, I've, I'd, yeah, I've got them here. You want to have a look? And it acts as your CV, and you've got it there whenever you need it. You know, when you're having your lunches, you're in the bar, or at that point when someone asks you in that moment, when it goes from a conversation to now we're talking business, now we're maybe doing deals. So deals you've done, of course, are proof. They're the best proof, aren't they? But deals you're doing can also be proof. The next thing about credibility is something that I need to go a little bit deeper of, and I need to, be, I need to tell you this from the bottom of my heart. I know it because I've mentored tens of thousands of people, and that is that you have to believe that you are credible in your heart, and I believe that you are, and I know that you are, and many of you in this room have less belief in your investability than I have in you. Because I can say all this stuff, but if, in, if there's something inside that goes, oh, I'm not worth it. Every individual is worthy of being wealthy. Every individual is a credible individual on everything that makes them them. There is no two people on the planet that have the exact same values and upbringing. Therefore, you are completely unique. No one is better than you at you. And what we tend to do as human beings is compare ourselves to someone else over here and someone else over there. And, oh, they've done more deals. And, oh, you know, they're better at the, 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 the chat and they're better at selling and they've got more podcast listeners and, you know, more LinkedIn followers. I checked at least seven of my competitors' number of LinkedIn followers today. I mean, why am I still doing that? It doesn't make them any better although I've got more than all of them, so I felt pretty good. <laughs> then man, you beat Liverpool, and then I was depressed. But now I'm back with you, and I feel good again. That is probably the most important thing I'm going to say today. And I think we had such a crazy year. You know, I sometimes try and think back, for your benefit, you know, how did I manage to do 20 deals with Mark in that first year with all of his money? You know, what was I thinking? Because I was not confident. And I think what happened is it just went so fast, and I just loved it so much. It was like the best year of my life. Now, something I've learned over the years as well, and this is not easy for me, and I'm sure it's not easy for you either, is, you know, there's a, there's a persona of who we are 
that maybe we try and live up to, to clients, to customers, on social media, blah, blah, blah. And then there's the real who you are. And what I've really worked on in the last few years is trying to stop showing the world a version of me that isn't really me. And in the years, I've done lots of testing. And sometimes I've undersold myself. And sometimes I've oversold myself. So, you know, sometimes I've been too humble and just, you know, Here's not put... My... From the web. <laughs> <laughs> Have you, like, made a little pact together? <laughs> We're going to, like... <laughs> Someone's just checking their phones on 100% silent. Um, uh, you know, like, something I used to do when I was around people was never say anything about me, ever. And then when I went on a load of sales training, I mean, I've done 1.2 million quid's worth of training over the last 12 years. Myself or Mark or our companies and our staff, mentorships training, all courses in every niche that we're in, sales, marketing, strategy, vision, leadership, you name it. And when I did quite a few of them, sometimes I'd put myself forward a bit too much. And like new people, I'd try and prove myself to them. And I've got nothing to prove. You've got nothing to prove. So speak your truth. Be who you are. Don't fear the consequences. If in doubt, tell the truth. Your truth. Show the world who you are. Because you know what? People are going to judge you anyway. So better show them the real you to judge so you can attract the right people. I always found it funny. Not funny, ha-ha, but funny, ironic. You know when people say, you know, people are in relationships and they've had a few failed relationships. Oh, well, I just want someone to love me and accept me for who I am. Yet they don't show the world who they are. So... The only way you can attract money and the right kind of clients that you want to work with is by showing the world who you really are. Like, for example, if someone said to you, how many properties do you own outright? And if you said none at the moment, then you would attract people to you who would invest with people who are starting out. Because there's plenty of people who invest in startups. I mean, that's the whole Dragon's Den thing. And you would repel people who want you to have done 20 deals. That is the only right answer. And actually, it serves you as much as it thinks you go, oh, shit. And we're scared of those moments where someone might say something that it might expose us to not be experienced or, you know, be depositioned or not feel good enough. We're scared of those moments. I'm scared of those moments because it's vulnerable. So what I've tried to teach myself to do is just to tell the immediate and exact truth. So much so that when we were talking about LinkedIn followers, how many got a day, I worked it out in front of you because I wanted to know the exact number because I wanted it to be that because that's the truth. And I didn't want anyone to think I was over pumping the numbers, even though I was about 10 short. So I was over pumping the numbers by 10, you know, 10 to round things up. Um, Mark tends to round things down. It's amazing the opportunities and the people that will come into your life when you stop trying to be someone else. And, you know, I'm not going to say that's the easiest thing in the world. For some of you, you know, that's a hard thing. But, you know, like Mark and I have had over the years comparing ourselves to people, you know, who've got bigger property portfolios and bigger businesses and been doing it longer. 
You know, sometimes I compare myself to people, say, for example, with my podcast downloads or the amount of books I sell. These guys have been doing it for 10 to 20 years longer than me. Instead of going, Rob, you've got like seven or eight businesses. You've built a massive property empire. All these podcasters who've got more subscribers than you, they probably don't even own their own house, a lot of them. And you've got this 700-strong JV property empire. I never say that to myself. I always say, well, fucking American influences, fucking wankers. Of course, I say that in my head. Why do I do that to myself? And why do you do whatever it is that you do to yourself? All right. So the next thing on credibility, and it's also on trust, by the way, care. Give a shit. I've got someone who I mentor on my Studio Pro package on, uh, for my podcasting um, agency. So Studio Pro package is the highest level that you can hire our agency on to start and scale your podcast. And with it, you get free mentorship with me. And I spoke to this lady for about 45 minutes this afternoon before I came here with you because she's had a bit of a wobble and I wanted to do that and you know if you've got a JV partner and they're like what's going on where's my money what you know call them up and talk to them I see so many people blurting out on social media my business partner this my JV partner that no look in the mirror because you know anyone who's bitching about their business partner or JV partner publicly And I've seen now, 12 years, people who... I've seen people repeatedly bitch about their business partner. And then they they get rid of them and get another business partner. And then what they do in six to 12 months' time, bitching about them. Then what they do in six to 12 months' time, bitching about them. What they do in six to 12 months' time, bitching about them. So if you care as much to make your JV partner happy and make them money as much as you want to make money, you'll be a good JV partner and you'll do well. And people like, you know, the famous saying, they don't care what you know till they know that you care. And it's obvious a mile off if people give a shit or not. It's obvious. Human beings have the innate sense to sense every single emotion that we portray and we can read it through a single muscle move in your face that has goodness knows how many muscles. We can just sense it. You know. You know when people are lying to you, bullshitting you, covering stuff up when they're selfish, when they don't care about you. But you can't pretend to care, you have to actually care. Now, sometimes in my business life, I've probably been too self-focused. Definitely in other times in my business life, when I was an artist, I was too selfless. Wouldn't charge enough for my work, always doing big discounts or, you know, I'd sometimes do paintings for free for people if I thought other people would come around their house and, you know, and look at the, the paintings and they might recommend me. That's just low self-worth manifesting in my work. So, you know, we're we're all... Everything's a test, isn't it? You know, we're all uh, moving from, you know, maybe too selfish, maybe too selfless. But, you know, like any... I just think if something's going wrong, pick up the phone and talk to your investor. The amount of things I've seen go wrong and then when we've spoken on the phone... It's just really changed the dynamic of it. Now, any smart person who's got money that gives it to you does not expect to have a perfect JV. They expect things to go wrong. And so they're judging you the most on how you deal when refurbs go over budget. You know, and you can't get all the money back in that you said at the start. 
That's when they're really judging you. I remember clear as day, clear as day, when I used to mentor Halstead Otley one-to-one, who's, um, you know, a uh, um, past and present VIP. He comes, he's coming to Dubai with us. So he's still, he's still, I still mentor him to this day. He's a lovely man. And um, he was a martial arts instructor, still is, but this was, I'm talking seven, eight years ago, probably, when we met him. Um, really lovely guy. He'd bought a load of properties, but he'd taken a long time to do it the conventional way, you know, making his money, saving it, buying a house every year, you know, full deposit, putting the money in, just slow and steady, done good. And then he came to one of our events and got disrupted by me and thought he could scale up and do it faster and everything else that most people experience. And um, he's a very good martial artist and he runs these classes. And he had this one-to-one uh, one client and they did a little deal and the deal, because this guy he knew was successful in business and they did a deal where Halstead would um, coach him one-to-one -one in the martial arts for free in exchange for some business advice. You know, just general chat over, about business because this guy was successful in business. Anyway, this guy ended up giving him a million quid to JV. And by the way, a million quid to this guy was peanuts. So I'll come back to that story in a minute because I've just said something that we need to put a little fence around. What you perceive as a lot of money that you then ask for, someone else perceives as a watch or a car or I'll stick that on red down the casino. So don't judge the amount of money. Just seek the money you need. You know, some people say to me, oh, Rob, well, I'm trying to put this investor's deposit into a JV and it's a bit messy and blah, blah. It's more messy if you put JV's money in for a deposit and then you still have to get a mortgage. It's, it's, it's possible, but it's more messy. And I say to them, well, why didn't you just ask them for the full amount? Oh, well, that's a lot of money. To you, maybe, not to them. Oh, I didn't really think about that. And I said to them, what did you pitch for in, in initially? Yeah, 25 grand. They're obviously going to give you what you pitched for. What if you'd have pitched for 125 grand? What might you have got? So back to the story of Halstead. So this guy gave him a million quid. You know, didn't, you know, through the solicitors and in the JV. But, and so Halstead went and bought a dozen properties-ish with his money, left the money in, and the deal was in six months he was going to refinance it all. Now, we'd never told him six months. He'd seen the six-month rule and thought it took six months. It doesn't. You all know that, and he didn't know that because he hadn't done it. And the six-month rule really means it's actually not a rule. It's just something that people have said is a rule. It'd it take at least a year to get um, money back if you've bought it cheap and can add the value. You, you know, it's, it's after six months you can reapply for the mortgage for the new lender. And so it misinterpreted it, slightly oversold it, unintentionally oversold it. And it, I remember him, him having a meeting with him and he was really worried, really, 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 really worried. And he said, Rob, what am I going to do? And I said, go and meet him face-to-face, -face, ideally, and if not, on the phone. Because here's the thing. Pause the story. Another tangent. I've got sucked into this, but most of us are just com uh, communicating with each other on email or Facebook now. We're not picking up the phone and talking to people enough. We're not going to meet them and looking in their eyes. And if there's a problem with your JV and you get in the car and you travel an hour and a half and you sit in their living room and you look them in the eyes and you say, look, you know, there's some challenges, but I'll sort them out for you. That says so much about you other than just sending them an email a week later. So, and I got trapped into that world until about a couple of years ago. And for now when things are sticky, always pick up the phone. I phone up my haters. Just randomly phone them up. So, um, you know, I've got like quite a lot of haters. Mark hasn't got any haters. I'm like his hater wall. I'll have them all.
bitching and moaning about me and every other property guru and course provider on the planet. All right, mate, it's Rob from Progressive. And the silence. It's beautiful. And I've made friends with quite a lot of them. It's amazing the power of, you know, because... Anyway, so, back to Halston. So he was worried, very worried. He said, what am I going to do? And I said, have a meeting with him and tell him the truth and tell him what you're planning to do about it. Don't fudge, don't waffle, don't drag it out, don't have 20 minutes of small talk. I was taught by someone, if you ever have to let anyone go, any staff members go, you walk in, you say, the reason this meeting is happening is because unfortunately I need to let you go. I think it's the best thing for you. If you need to know any of the details, you can speak to blah, blah, blah in HR. I'm very sorry that it didn't work out. Thanks for having faith in us. Let's go. That's the best way to let go, other than the waffling and the spending 15, 20 minutes and setting up false hope. So I said to him, don't piss around, go straight in. Anyway, he phoned me up and went, Rob, guess what? He said, no problem, just leave all the money in. <laughs> we'll get more income that way. Funny how it goes, isn't it? Okay, cool. So the R in the Crest model is return. What's the word? Return. Return. The E is exit. What's the word? Exit. And then the S is security. What's the word, nice and loud? Security. Security. I'm not going to cover those on this talk, because remember, I'm talking to you about the non-technicalities. I'm talking to you about the human side of it, the trust side of it, the credibility side of it, the lendworthiness side of it. So you, you listen to your Be Your Own Bank CDs again for that part. Now I'm going to talk about the T, which is trust, because this is a huge one. So the first thing about trust is the same thing in credibility. If you care about your staff, your outsourcers, your JV partners, your investors, if you care about them, they will trust you. And they will trust you in the bad times as well as the good times. And you are going to have bad times. Sorry if you want all the, you know, all the fluff and, you know, the reality is you're going to have hard times, you know that. You know, good days and bad days. So, you shouldn't have to teach yourself to care. But, of course, if you can't motivate yourself to care about the people that are also making you rich, then there's something up there. The next thing is the willingness to serve, which is linked to caring. But Mark and I have this little thing going on where he does all the property work and loves to come to me when he's just got planning on 95 flats. Um, On his wedding day, we completed on selling the bottom floor, but not that unit that we let out for 50 grand a year, um, for 3.66 million, which was just one of the best days of my life. You know, on Mark's wedding day, I'm doing the best man speech. We've completed that purchase. You know, it was, it was great. Mark still didn't get emotional because he's a freaking machine. But still, <laughs> I wanted a hug. I got a titanium hug. Um, and, of course, you know, the, the, the planning is now... Um, well, the planning actually isn't accepted, but it looks like it's going to be accepted. The reason Mark shared that was because it was in the front page of the Evening Telegraph in Peterborough, so Mark shared it because they shared it. Um, so what Mark wants to do is go, look what I've done in property. Look what money I've made us. 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 Uh, and what I want to do is write more books and, you know, keep on the flag of progressive property and the unlimited success and do the podcasts and, 
um, you know, make the money and do the thing in my way. Um, and, you know, to be able to go to Mark and say, hey, look, I've just designed a new course. They've, you know, the, the clients absolutely love it and it's brought in so far £420,000. So Mark and I have this thing where we kind of like, it's a bit of competition that he wants his side to perform a bit better than my side and vice versa. I enjoy making Mark money. And I don't know if I could have said that 10 years ago because I didn't see it like that. You can enjoy making your partner's money. And I'm not, you know, like this, I'm not, take, I'm not being sarcastic here. It genuinely does. Um, so just, and again, I'm going to say this because I wouldn't normally say this because I'd be scared, but I'm going to say it to force myself to speak my truth. Um, but I had a deal with my publishers, Hachette, and Hachette the second biggest publisher behind Penguin. Um, and I got um, an advance of $35,000 for my book, and I can't even remember which country it was, the translation, I think it might have been, what's the kind of normal career, in the north or the south? Is it south, yeah, don't say, imagine my book <laughs> in North Korea. Mark thinks I've got a bit of him in me. He always takes the piss out of me for that. Um, and, you know, that, that, that £35,000, the biggest advance for a non-fiction book they've ever had in that publishers, you know, I knew that seventeen and a half grand was going to Mark, and that felt good. And it feels good to share money and success. So a willingness to serve your partners, your staff, your customers, your husband or your wife, your team members. Um, Gia, who takes us on the speaker boot camp. Every year I buy her a really nice handbag because she works really hard. One of my guys in innovation, I bought him a 60-inch TV for his new house because he works really hard. And that feels great. And, of course, it's goodwill. So I always see people looking at a JV and, and borrowing money. Oh, well, what am I getting out of it? And they're pissing me off and they want a re- weekly report and they're being this and they're being that. And I think, you know, like um, some of the very wise people say, be the change you want to see in the world. You know, the best way to stop an argument is to just stop and say, I'm sorry, you're right. But no one wants to do that because the ego drives the e- equation. So willingness to serve. Next, then, is willingness to solve. I'll guarantee you, for as long as you're in progressive and you're in property, I'll guarantee you, you'll get plenty of problems. Tenants, boilers, you're demanding JV partners, section this and clause that, you'll get plenty of them. We've had hundreds of them in 12 years. So it's not what happens, it's how you deal with it, you're willingness and desire to solve problems. And I have this now sadistic nature with problems where, of course, I don't like the problem. You know, I've read a lot of gratitude. I've done a bit of the Buddhist Zen stuff. John Demartini is my mentor. I've taught you, know, be grateful for all your problems. The problem goes, comes in. You know, you, you put your yoga gear on, you sit with your fingers like that, and you're like, for fuck's sake! <laughs> Still pissing me off. But then you have a quick word with yourself and hopefully it takes a couple of seconds or a couple of minutes, not a couple of weeks or a couple of years. And you roll up your sleeves and you fix the problem. Oh, but I want passive income. I don't want to solve any problems because I want passive income. Sometimes to have your passive income, you have to go and fix a problem. Now, sometimes that's not you. Sometimes fixing the problem is picking up the phone and speaking to your managing agent and saying, send someone out to the tenant. It's not always you doing it, but it's you taking responsibility. And you know what? All of us hate problems. 
So the people we value the most in society, the people who are lauded and praised and statues are made of them and are risen to the top and are the world's leaders, are the people who take on their shoulders solving problems. So when you roll your sleeves up and solve problems, not, don't bitch, don't moan, don't whine, don't complain, just do it. People look at you and they think you've got self-worth, you've got confidence, you're a leader, I want to follow you, you'll protect me. That's how they'll perceive you. And that's really powerful, really powerful. And that makes you very investable, very investable. If there was an angel and a dragon and a vulture and a whale, they would all 100% agree. And they would all say the deals we've done in the past and the projections and the figures and the business plans, none of them look like now how we wrote them. And you know when you watch Dragon's Den, what do they all say they're investing in? The person. They see a brilliant model and someone they don't like, I'm out. And often they've invested in people and they don't even really care about the product because they want the person. You know, the Levi Roots effect. I've got 10 minutes. All right. Challenge Annika here, 10 minutes to get all this in. All right. Next then is interest. The etymology of interest you know, the the origin of the word, means to stay interested. So, originally with money lending, you charge interest so that the borrower stays interested in paying you back and that the lender is interested in paying you because they get benefit. The word interest is is more profoundly literal than it looks because we see interest as an amount of money that we pay which gives an investor a return or negates their risk or gives them, you know, um, an opportunity cost return. But the origin, because in some religions, as you know, interest is forbidden. So the origin of the word interest is to be interested. Not a financial number, but to stay interested. So the higher the rate of interest is charged to the investor, the more interested they'll be, focused, in dealing with this loan and this problem, because it becomes a big problem. Um, and the more interest a lender can get, the more they're interested in that loan because of the return they can get. So I just wanted to let you know that, to know that there's a bit more depth in interest just being a financial number. So I like to look at this. Okay, so what does being interested mean? It means keeping my joint venture partner up to date with what's going on. Never leaving them in the dark. It means giving them a balanced, fair return. Sometimes too much interest actually is counterproductive. I'm going to just leave you hanging on that because I want to cover the rest. So the next one is dealing with conflict. If there isn't conflict in your joint venture at any point, you're not telling them everything or they might be a bit of a pushover maybe. But you know what? If there's conflict that you can avoid... What will the universe do? It will throw you in another form or it will make it worse for you later on. 100% it will. Those of you that have suppressed emotions in the past, they manifest in illness or rage or flipping out at someone or whatever else. So deal with conflict when the conflict is there. Do not put it off. You think in the moment... It's easier. Anything usually that's a lot easier in the moment is usually a lot harder later on. Except saying thank you and sorry to my wife. (laughs) 
very frequently. I remember Neville Wright saying to me, so Neville Wright, he, he owns properties all over Peterborough. He's worth like 100 million. He sold Kitty Care for 75 million. You know, loaded. He's what? He must be pushing 70 now and looks like he's 50. He's a great guy. I love him. And, um, you know, like I remember having a bit of a chat with him years ago now. And he said, Rob, do you know what my two bits of advice are, the best bits of advice I've got for you? And I was thinking, yeah, this, what's this, PE ratios and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and he went, say thank you and sorry a lot. And I'm just going to say this because he said this, you know, especially to women. That's what he said. But he's got a happy marriage of 40 years. He's got kids and grandkids. But, you know, there's... Like, if you're wrong, say sorry. If someone does something, if you just say thank you, it's, like, it's quite powerful. Anyway, I digress. So deal with conflict when it turns up. All right, next then is um, there's something called fear setting. Now, often what happens in joint ventures is, oh, I've got a deal. Whoa, it's going to make you millions and me millions. I'm excited. And then this JV, I've got the money. There's the money. And we don't necessarily always set up a proper agreement or heads of terms, then forming a joint venture contract and then roles and responsibilities and exit clauses and what happens if the money doesn't come out you know, penalty interest clauses and all these other factors that should go in a JV. So and a great exercise for you to do with your JV partner before the money moves, not just what you want and what I want, that's good, not just your roles and my roles, that's good, but also what are we worried about and what could go wrong, you state, I state, and then we factor that into our agreement. What if the money doesn't come back in the time frame that you say? So you say to your JV partner, I think it would be really good for us if we were to put our fears on the table. You know, most people don't talk about these, but what are you worried about investing in this project with me? What might happen in the future that, you know, would make you worry about your money and your return? Let's talk about it. You know, hopefully we can resolve it up front because if you don't resolve it up front, you'll be dealing with the conflict of it later on. Now, over time, when you've done enough of these, you just know to raise these and you just know to put these in the contract. Boom. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. I'm sorry I don't have any outro music or anything to say at the end. Just wanted to give you what I've got. So thank you very much. Hi, it's Rob again. Hopefully you enjoyed that talk. Sorry about some of the language, but at least you know it was very much a, a deep dive, an honest look into our journey. I really believe you can do the same too. Uh, and I really believe you need to do this. So I've just launched my brand new podcast, Money. Uh, it was, currently is number two in all podcasts in the whole country and number one in business. That's great. Hey, but why should that benefit you? Because if you subscribe to the Money podcast today, right now, then if you're one of the first 250, you get two free tickets to my brand new Make, Manage and Master Money event. Now, this isn't a property event. It's not, if you're involved in Progressive, you won't have seen this event before. It's a brand new event. I have run the Make, Manage and Master Money event before, but this is a new event. New speaker lineup, five multimillionaires, teach you how to make, manage, master money, no more, make more, give more, the story, the psychology, uh, and building multiple streams of income. I've also got a dragon from Dragon's Den coming to do keynote speech too. So if you're one of the first 250 I just need some kind of screenshot proof. Maybe email me at rob.more at progressiveproperty.co.uk or tag or post it into one of the communities of ours you're in. And if you're, if you're one of the first 250 booked, you get your ticket. If you miss 
that, I'm sorry, that was just, just meant you were too slow. Uh, but also, I'm gonna give three people 1,000 pound in cash, one person an iWatch, and one person an iPad, all just for subscribing to the New Money Podcast. Uh, and I'll be doing uh, a merit-based competition in the next couple of weeks on the Money Podcast, where I'll give you instructions on what you need to do to try and win the cash, the iWatch, and the iPad. So if you go on iTunes now, or Stitcher now, uh, or just go onto your app or wherever now and search Money, by me, Rob Moore. You'll find the podcast, subscribe, and good luck.